This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore and the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm your host, Joe Perez, one of several lore-focused folks from Blizzard Watch, and I've got my fan fantastic co-host matt rossi with me today how you doing today matt fantastic <laughs> apparently matt has turned into a parrot today uh today there we go so we're going to be answering some more of your questions out there and as always if you have questions for the podcast or the queue uh make sure that you share them with us you can send your questions to podcast at blizzardwatch.com that's singular podcast at blizzardwatch.com just make sure you specify what show it is for uh or you can join us on discord we have a patron q and podcast question section feel free to show them there or hit us up on twitter i got a couple of them today from twitter uh and i don't know if matt wants to plug his but you can hit me up at uh loader zj l-o-d-u-r-z-j or toss them to the at blizzard watch uh handle and we'll i can pick them up from there as well Mm. cool all right uh, hello, lore watchers. I am currently in the midst of building a homebrew world, and I'm thinking about cosmology in particular. To that end, I'd love it if you guys could do a deep dive into some of the cosmology in Blizzard franchises, in particular Diablo, as that is one of my casual knowledge suggests is particularly rich with things that can inspire my own world building. Love hearing your discussion of all things Blizzard lore, especially since I am unable to devote the time, money, or focus to playing for the foreseeable future. Thanks, Pelurian, Human Priest on Alaria. So, I guess we're going to start with some Diablo stuff, and that means, Matt Rossi, you are up. What, what, what's going on with the Diablo cosmology? Um, trying to get this Reese's peanut butter cup down. Hold on. <laughs> hey. Sorry, I'm trying to have more time. It's a noble endeavor. I haven't eaten yet today. 
Um, okay. Hold on. Diablo. Well, all right. The cosmology of Diablo is heavily influenced by, uh, I'd like to say, mostly Sumerian, but with a, a flavor of Persian. Uh, Zoroastrianism is in there, so Manichaeanism. In that stock, stock Zoroastrianism has a good spirit and an evil spirit. There's a there's a Huramazda or a Mazid and Angurimanyu or Araman. But the world in Zoroastrianism is inherently a good place. It's the good creation of a Huramazda. And Araman wants to corrupt it. But none of it's bad. Whereas Manichaeanism has the whole idea that the flesh and the world of, of the physical around you is, is corrupt inherently. It's not something Araman wants to corrupt. It's something that is corrupted. And Manichaeanism is not a Zoroastrian religion. It, it is influenced by it. But it's also influenced by Judaism and Christianity and a bunch of other things. Uh, Yuri Stoyanov is the other god is really good for this. If you want to look at the history of dualism in, in religious systems, it's extremely good for that, by the way. I recommend it. But we're kind of getting off track here. The, the point being that in Diablo, the way that this is used is that there was an initial... And this is the Kabbalistic influence right here. There's an initial being that is all things everywhere at once. And that being was Nanu, the primordial Anu, it's called. And then he got the script to a first season Star Trek episode and decided he would take all the evil inside of himself and remove it. I should say itself. The primordial Anu does not have gender. It is not a he or a she, it is a they. I guess it would work even because it is even more so than just a they. But anyway, we'll go with they. Uh, it, they removed all that was wicked, foul, corrupt, uh, corrupting from themselves and separated it out. In the process, they created the, the perfect diamond warrior, Anu, who is the being that you, when they see representations of Anu in the game, that's the being you, you see. Because the being before creation didn't have a form. It didn't have anything. It was everything at once, and so it was nothing. Because if you can't be, if you're everything, if there is nothing that isn't you, then by definition, you you have no form, you have no shape, you have no, you can't have a form because if you had a form, you wouldn't have every other form. And it's that kind of thing that you get when you these kind of cosmic entities. Uh, Anu, the perfect diamond warrior Anu existed, therefore, and it was everything that was you know pure, good, all that stuff. But in the process, they had created their opposite. And that all the foul, corrupt, putrescent, all that stuff formed the being Tothamet, an enormous dragon of darkness. It had seven heads. Uh, it was, you know, a, a monster. And it and Anu came together. Now, see, the names Tothamet and Anu are very much inspired by, like I said, Sumerian slash Akkadian religion. It, it's, it's Anu and Tiamat. But in that religion, Anu and Tiamat were, were married. Uh, oh, no, am I saying, is it Anu or Apsu? Apsu, I think. It's Apsu, yeah, I'm sorry. But no, Anu was, did in fact fight Tiamat in that. But then again, there's a whole lot of other gods. For instance, there's Bel Marduk, if you're into the, the Babylonian stuff. There's the the the, uh, the Ennead. There's a whole bunch, but in, in this version, it's just the two. And they fought, and in, the, in so fighting... They mutually destroyed themselves. Um, 
uh, Tathomet was hurled down into, into a place that basically became hell because Tathomet was there. Tathomet's broken corpse was there. And from the broken corpse were born first the, the, the three primes and the four lesser evils. The, the three greater, four lesser, and they, they, they were the basically loosely based around the seven heads of Tathomet. So uh, if you remember what happened with the Ashraj in Pandaria, not entirely dissimilar in terms of how this works out. So you've got um, Mephisto, Baal, and Diablo, the three, the three greater evils. And then you've got uh, As- Asmodon, Belial, uh, Duriel, and Andariel. Those are the, the, the seven total. Those are the seven evils that were born from Tathomet's broken corpse. The hells are literally made out of Tathomet's corpse. They are, like, it's when you go to hell, you are inside Tathomet's body. That's why everything kind of has that organic feel to it. Like, every time you go to, like, a hell dimension in, in Diablo, you'll notice it's kind of squelchy and organic. Yeah, very, very H.R. Geigery, very, very yeah. curvy. You, you are literally inside the body of Tathomet. Whereas now with, with Anu, Anu was also destroyed at that moment of, com- of conflict. And by the way, the, the mutual destruction of, of Anu and Tathomet created Pandemonium. Pandemonium is the scar on existence that was created when the two wiped each other out. It's like they were both... You ever seen like you've seen like a million anime where the two main characters that are fighting are both swaying on their feet and they both throw a punch at the same time and they both connect at the same time sort of thing? Yeah, it's cl- classic Dragon Ball Z. Yeah, it's like that, except um, if if both Goku and Frieza blew the heck up, and Frieza's corpse smashed down, and you know demons started coming out of it, and Goku's spine went twirling out of his body, and the spine became the foundation of the heavens. And if you look at when you went when we went to heaven in Diablo three, and we saw the whole place and the big shining arch, that shining arch is the spine of Anu, the Diamond Warrior. And from that spine are born the angels. The spine resonates with the music of the spheres, and from it are born all the angels. Uh, all the archangels, for instance, they come from that thing. That's where literally everything in Diablo, like the, either the demons or the angels, that's where they come from. So you got that. You have the angels born out of Anu. You've got the demons born out of Tathomet. They, of course, didn't get along, you know. One's, one group is the descendants of the purified, you know, diamond warrior who deliberately excised all things, like all flaws and imperfections and corruptions out of himself. And the others are the, the offspring of all those things that, that Anu decided weren't worth keeping and which then, you know, came to be a separate being that wanted revenge for their discarding. They, they fight. And they've been fighting for, like, we don't know how long, like, the, it's just been forever. That's one of the things about the whole thing in Diablo is the, the eternal conflict. They're not kidding. It's not a joke. So that's basically the creation myth. But that's not how Sanctuary got created. Uh, before I go on with that, Joe, you got anything you want to say? No. I mean, you're pretty much covering all the bases. I'm just filling in any gaps. So right now, so far, right. so good. What, the eternal conflict lasted for a very, very, very long time. One of the reasons for that was when... The angels and demons started fighting in Pandemonium. They found an object, an enormous, like, mountain-sized crystalline fragment. It's got a few names. 
One of the names is the World Stone because it, it soon became apparent that the the object possessed the kind of power that only existed at the creation of existence. It was like a pure piece of something. They they called it the Eye of Anu as well, because the idea was it was some remnant of Anu left behind when the two forces destroyed each other. They immediately began fighting over it. And it, it was used many times to create, you know, like the, when the angels got it, they would use it to create a world, or when the demons got it, the same thing. But the worlds never lasted. Like, as, as soon as, like, one, the other side regained control of the stone, the worlds would fade out. As a result of this, though, they then built the, I think it, we don't, I'm not sure if it was the angels or the demons who built Pandemonium Fortress, to be honest with you. I think it was probably the angels. Uh, I'd have to go look that up, but they they built the Pandemonium Fortress as a place to like hold the the eye, the the World Stone, and they then fought over the Pandemonium Fortress for an in, for like a indeterminate forever amount of time, and to the point where angels and demons started getting tired of this. There were certain members of both groups. Um, one of the one of the big ones on the angelic side was it was an angel named uh, Inarius who was close personal friends with like several of the archangels. He sometimes in the Diablo lore, they call him an archangel and sometimes they don't. Sometimes he's just an angel. Uh, if he is called an archangel, nobody says what his portfolio is. Whereas most of the time when he's not, he's not called an archangel. So they don't have to give him one, but Inarius was well, he was well thought of. He was, you know, if at least friends with guys like Imperius and Tyrael, uh, he was a, a renowned fighter in the war. He'd fought for like you know many many victories for the angels against the demons, and he was getting sick of this because it just wasn't going to end. His entire existence was going to be fighting over this chunk of rock in the mm -hmm. middle of nowhere, and it was never going to stop. So he tried to get Tyrael on board, but Tyrael was at this time like, no, you, you kidding? Of course it's an eternal conflict. That's the whole point. We're just going to keep fighting him forever. And it's great. He didn't actually say that, but you para paraphrase, but also Tyrael yeah. uh, was the one that ordered the uh, building of Bast uh, of Bastion to be built around uh, the, the world. You mean the, the pandemonium. You mean the pandemonium? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Different game, man. Same, same, uh, same principle. So, I mean, it would but, stand yeah. the reason that he would he would be like, yeah, no, this is just the war, man. This is what we're doing. This is our job. Um, so he, he tried to get Tyrael on board, but Tyrael was not having it. And he knew Imperius was absolutely not going to go for it. So he was like, okay. Uh, around this time, he got himself caught by a, a massive demonic ambush, and he figured, oh, I'm going to die. So he started ranting out his invective about how stupid the whole war was, about how it was completely pointless. And when he woke up, uh, he was being held by one demon. And that demon was Lilith. Uh, if you've seen the Diablo 4 announcement, you've seen Lilith. Um, Lilith was interested in what he'd had to say. Because she thought the eternal conflict was stupid. She was like, you can't win. You can't win. What's the point of a fight you can't win? Why are we having a fight we don't actually win? What's, why are we doing this? My, my father's an idiot. He wants to just keep fighting for no reason, just, just to keep fighting. Like, wh why do that when you can come up with a way to win? What's the point of a fight that you don't win? So 
when she saw this angel and he was like losing his mind and ranting about it. And she was like, Hmm, he could be useful. So when he woke up, she had him, she let him go. She was like, I agree with you. This war is stupid. We should stop it. And whether Inarius just snapped from never having anyone like go along with him or what, who's to say, uh, I am not one to analyze the motivations of beings that, that are not even remotely human. But for whatever reason, Inarius and Lilith each went to their respective people and found others who would agree with them. They found other angels and other demons that were like, yeah, this is dumb. We just go and do the same thing over and over and over again. It's, you know, I, I've been killed in this war how many times? I get killed, I reform, I don't really remember my previous existence very well. Yeah, that's not great. I don't, I don't want to keep doing this. So they, they hatched a plan. And that plan was, what if we take the world stone and we use it together and then we hide it so they, they, the, the angels and demons can't fight over it and can't claim it from us to use it on themselves? And that's what they did. They raided the Pandemonium Fortress, they stole the World Stone, and together they used it, uh, Inarius and Lilith together, used it to create a sanctuary, a place where they could hide from the Eternal Conflict, a place where they could basically peace out on this whole thing. Um, and it worked for a very long time. Like, even like the, the Archangel of Wisdom himself uh, couldn't, Malthiel couldn't find the World Stone. And he was freaked out. Like, he was like, what happened? Where did it go? But he couldn't find it. Nobody could find it. But there was one monkey wrench in this whole perfect little paradise that they created for themselves. And that was the fact that they got their bone on. Mm-hmm. Uh, see, because, I mean, angels and demons are eternal beings. They don't die so much and they, they don't age or whatever. But they do apparently get bored. And they do apparently start hooking up. And... Anarius and, and Lilith weren't immune to this. In fact, they started doing it too. Uh, whether or not some people, like some of the versions of the story imply that Anarius and Lilith actually were in love or as close to that as they could get because, you know, angel and demon, neither of them are human. So they don't have the same emotions that humans do. They, they think differently. For one thing, it's up in the air whether or not angels and demons have free will. That's one of the things that, you know, is an angel... Does it have free will or is it just acting in accordance with its nature? I mean, then you have ones that fall and so forth. So it's kind of, but then, then that's the demons trying to corrupt them because that's one of the things demons do is corrupt. So if you get a fallen angel, is that angel really acting in accordance with its nature or is it acting in accordance with the demon's nature? Has the demon, you know, overwhelmed it back and forth on this one. But nevertheless, uh, Narius and Lilith had a child that they named Lenarian. And Lenarian was the first of what we call the Nephilim. There were others very quickly, uh, Bolkathos, Vasily. Uh, I can't remember the, the the there's one that's kind of the, the the one that started like elemental witchcraft and, and wizardry. There's quite a few others, but point being, they had these children, and the children began outstripping them. Like the the Nephilim had the potential for greater power than either angels or demons, and this is because, unlike angels or demons, Nephilim have access to that which was before angels and demons were created. Uh, also, the primordial, the primordial Anu. 
for for those of you that don't know, just to interrupt real quick, uh, anytime they're referring to the first Nephilim in game, they're usually referred to as the Ancients. So whenever you hear discussion of that, these are the beings that they're talking about. Yeah, the Ancients, uh, or yeah, the Ancients are basically the first Nephilim. Um, although that's a little confusing because sometimes when barbarians refer to the Ancients, they refer to Bolkathos or the barbarians that followed him, mm-hmm. and not necessarily the other Nephilim like, say, Vasily slash Fiaklagyar or, you know, what have you. Esu, Rathma, yeah. Yeah, Esu is the one I was trying to, the, 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 you know, and Rathma is Lenarian. Lenarian is Rathma, they're the same guy. Yep. Uh, but basically, when that happened, when the Nephilim started dis- displaying power on a, on a level that would, that transcended their parents, the uh, angels and demons started to get really scared. And they went to, to Ignarius and they were like, hey, uh, this is not cool. They're going to they're gonna attract attention. They're going to draw the eyes of the, of the eternal conflict onto this place and they're going to get us caught. We should get rid of them. And Ignarius was listening and thinking about it, but Lilith went nuts because Lilith didn't just want to hide. Remember, Lilith wanted to win. Mm-hmm. That was the whole point of this exercise from her perspective was, you know, I, I'm not opposed to the, to the fighting. I'm opposed to nobody ever winning it. I want to win it. And that was, she, she even says like one of the, the journal entries you'll find is her saying, I will show him that in time victory is even is possible, but first I will give him children. And the children are the key to the victory that Lilith foresaw. Um, the Nephilim are the means by which Lilith can beat her, not just the angels, but the demons too. She wants to beat everybody. She wants the conflict to be over. And she wants her to be the victor. Of course. And the Nephilim are her means to do it. So she killed all the other angels and demons that came to sanctuary <laughs> with her and Inarius. She didn't kill Inarius. I don't know if she even could, because remember, Inarius had the world stone at that point. Um, but she killed the rest of them to keep them from moving on the Nephilim. Inarius didn't... This is why I think Inarius had some kind of genuine feelings for Lilith. He didn't kill her. He didn't use the World Stone to kill her. He just banished her to a nothing place. Yeah, he could have unmade her. Right? Yeah, he could have just said, you're gone. And instead, he just banished her to elsewhere. Um, the elsewhere that you see her come back from in, in Diablo 4's uh, cinematics. So... Uh, and she's been back from it before too, but that's that's this this is the thing about Diablo cosmology. It will take a while for me to unravel all this, but he did that, and then he was like, "Okay, I'm not going to just kill my offspring, but I am going to make them not a threat. I'm going to make it so that they will not attract the attention of the uh, the demons and the angels." So he he used the World Stone to alter them, so they couldn't access uh, Anu's power. And so every generation was smaller and weaker and less terrifyingly potent until you ended up with humans. And that lasted a good long while. It didn't last forever, though, because as, as was already this, the case, access to the World Stone isn't something that remains exactly the same permanently. You have to keep using it. You have to keep resetting it, essentially. And Inarius had made it so that the Nephilim's 
children were less powerful until they got to the point of humans, but he hadn't actually erased the Nephilim potential from humanity. He was just suppressing it with the world stone. And I, I, at some point in the past, and this is one of the problems with this is that it technically this never happened in Diablo. It happened and then was, was deliberately suppressed by the beings involved. So, but a, a farmer named, uh, Oh, bloody heck, I can't remember his name. Is like, I want to say Olmed, but that's not it. It's uh, Odysseus. Odysseus, thank you. Odysseus uh, Queldroma. He, um, he was the son of a farmer, and he had a brother uh, whose brother I'm actually um, I'm losing here. The brother, do you remember his name? Uh, I'll get it in a second. I can't remember. Okay. He had a brother who was also like himself. Uh, the two of them began displaying weird powers. Mendel. Mendelm, thank you. Um, Mendelm and and Odysseus began displaying strange powers, and with the help of a friend, who later on turned out to be Lilith herself, began learning how to use those powers. And they opposed the local religion, which was in fact a it was a setup by um, Inarius to try and control the world through like one church that was like run by him. At that time, however, the 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 the, the uh, prime evils had discovered sanctuary, and they created their own religion called the Triune. So, do you remember? Like, I think it was like two seasons ago at this point, the power of the Triune. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the, that whole thing was based on the on the three prime evils who presented themselves as gods. So, uh, Mephisto, for instance, was the was the was presented as the Lord of Love, and Diablo is the Lord of Courage, and. Uh, Baal is the Lord of Creation. They 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 had special names that I just don't remember. I'm sorry, guys, but they they set up this triune religion to try and you know convince the the humans of Sanctuary to worship them because they'd figured out even without the power of the Nephilim, all these new souls could be used as fuel and and free troops in the eternal conflict. If you get Sanctuary on your side, if you conquer it, you can use it as a new staging ground, a new front, and a new source of troops and power to fight the angels. You could tip the balance of the, of the eternal conflict, which is kind of what Lilith's plan had been the whole time, except she was going to use it against both of them. Um, so uh, Odysseus and Mendel and their followers, who as many of them were also Nephilim, began discovering their power. And eventually they kind of went against both groups. And Odysseus straight up took, he he basically beat Anarius in a fight. And Anarius had the world stone on his side and he still lost. But Odysseus realized what he was doing was going to end up in the destruction of Sanctuary. And so he sacrificed himself to access the full power of the world stone and reset everything. And by doing that, he basically erased his group and everything they did from history. No one remembered him. No one remembered what he'd done. No one remembered the power he displayed. He became nothing to people. Um, there's a bit in, I believe, the Book of Tyrael, or the Book of Cain, where Cain theorizes that it was a vision of his sacrifice that inspired the Zacharum faith, but nobody knew. Like Nobody knew who this guy was. Nobody knew what he did. His brother was the only person who remembered him, and that's why Mendelm formed the priests of Rothma. 
the, uh, the, the, the necromancers. Mendelm, along with the Tragul, who's this giant dragon spirit who is not explained at all. In any Diablo, no one has ever explained where Tragul comes from. He's this big dragon of balance, and that's all we've got. Well, I mean, all we've heard from him is that he existed bef- like during the time of creation, right? Like That's the yeah. only thing that we have any sort of inkling regarding this it. This is... And- this is why it's my theory that Tragul is, in fact, some reflection of the primordial Anu. Which would make sense, right? That's always been my theory, because as he says, he's, he's, very, he's very involved in balance, and he says he existed before the creation of all things. To, to me, it's like he's the part of Anu who realized, oh, I, I, this was not a good idea. I should have tried to balance myself. I should not have just tried to rip out all the stuff I didn't like. Yikes. <laughs> wow, this didn't work. Okay. New plan. Gonna recreate myself. Uh, I'm gonna need these guys to do it, because, yeah, that, that's terrible. But anyway, yeah. Tragul is this dragon who wants to maintain the balance, and he, he basically, he went to Lenarian at the time that, like, the whole thing with the Nephilim and the Ancients was happening. He said, you know, I, you need to be about the balance. We, if this sanctuary is going to keep existing, it needs to balance all these forces so that none of them are like none of them can be in the ascendant. You can't have this cosmic force of like light and righteousness and charge. And you can't have this chaotic force of corruption and darkness in charge. You need to like balance these out because the entire world that you are existing in is created with both working together. Like Inarius and Lilith couldn't have created sanctuary alone. They needed each other. And that was how sanctuary came into existence in the first place. So yeah, uh, Lenarian took on the name Rothma and became the first necromancer. And Mendelm basically started the religion that also became the organization. The priest of Rothma was created by Mendel, who was also kind of, he was kind of Rothma and Tragul's, like, I want to say apprentice. I might not quite be the right word, but I can't think of a better one. But yeah, that's how Sanctuary came to exist. And when it was all over, when the, when the war ended and the angels and the demons were basically trying to figure out, okay, we, what that just happened, what do we do now? The Angiris Council got together and were like, you know, we could just destroy it. We could just kill all the humans and destroy Sanctuary and be done. And they voted on this. And Imperius voted to destroy it. Uh, Malthiel voted to abstain. He's like, I'm not going to vote. I am not voting in this. I abstain. I am straight up not going to vote. Uh, and, and Imperius was like, fine, that's fine. For one thing, Malthiel was basically considered the head of the council because he was the Archangel of Wisdom. So if he was doing that, it was the wise course of action. The way Imperius thought, well, sure, hope and fate are going to vote for this planet, but that's fine because Tyrael, Justice, he'll vote with me, and a tie means the world gets destroyed. We're gonna we're gonna blow the place up on a tie, so both um, uh, hope and fate voted to spare the world, and he you know Imperius looks over at Tyrael expecting him to go yeah let's blow it up, and Tyrael's like no, spare it. It's not just to kill them. They 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 they're not. It would it would be unjust to do this to them. When the, based on nothing that they've done, no crime of their own, just existing. It's it's not. It's not just. I can't vote for it. And this was the big beginning of Imperius and Tyrael's split. Like, they stopped being 
friends. They'd been friends for like the entire eternal conflict because they were always fighting on the same side. They were always back to back, brother, to, you know, brothers, so shoulder to shoulder, fighting, you know, against the demons. But now, when Imperius thought this was the absolute right course of action, his brother had betrayed him, had voted against what he wanted, and so sanctuary didn't get destroyed. Um, the the demons were like, "All right, fine, we'll go along with this." But Mephisto's like, "I want." the guy who took my daughter here and then banished her to some unfathomable netherworld. I want him. You give him to me. And the angels are like, all right, buys the piece. Sure. So that's where Anarius went. Anarius has been in the hells suffering under Mephisto's, you know, Mephisto's the Lord of hate. The dude's got plenty of incredibly creative ways to torment you. Uh, and that's what they've been doing to Denarius since the Sin War, which is everything I just described with the, the World Stone and with Odyssean and Mandelm. That was the Sin War. As a result of the Sin War, Lilith had returned and then immediately got herself banished again. So, yeah, that this would all wouldn't have happened without Lilith. Lilith's whole goal was to get the, uh, the Nephilim back, and then she got banished and couldn't use it. So when she comes back now, I don't know what she's planning, but it's going to be a big deal. Because every mortal being on Sanctuary, every human, wouldn't exist if not for Lilith. Lilith literally is the mother of the, of the human race in this setting. So yeah, I think that pretty much covers it, doesn't it? That's pretty good. I mean, I, you know, I could go on forever, but it's, it's a decent roundup, I think, for, for the, a bit of a, on a lore watch show. You yeah. can't do the whole episode on it, so. I mean, we could if people wanted to, uh, but I think you know, pretty much. Yelling, guys. Yeah, let us know. Uh, I agree with with everything, and I think that's a pretty good, well rounded, rounded uh, sort of synopsis of of how things are going or went with Diablo. Uh, the other interesting thing, and I think we mentioned this earlier, is that unlike World of Warcraft or some of the other cosmologies that have been created, like for D anD D and other things, Diablo's is very, very vague. Um, we only know about uh, the high heavens, the burning hells, sanctuary. Uh, we kind of know about the void a little bit, which they've mentioned. Uh, we understand that Trogul has his own realm, but like Matt said earlier, we don't know how many worlds were created out there. Uh, and they sort of refer to that as like the space or void or, or the universe as a whole we have no idea. We have no idea how many actual worlds or planes of existence are in the Diablo cosmology because this is such a micro um, view of that universe. It always has been. That may change in the future. Uh, that may be something that we see change a little bit in Diablo 4 uh, because if Lilith is back, we might be seeing, I don't want to say the end game of the Eternal Conflict, but something big is going to happen. Uh, and if that results in maybe us seeing more of the, the universe as a whole, that cosmology might expand. But for right now, it's, it's pretty limited in scope. All right. Moving on to our next question. This one comes from LaRock. Uh, listening to the three-quarter podcast, one thought occurred to me. Uh, sorry, three-four podcast. One thing occurred to me. Could the Jailer be the world soul of the planet Sargeras destroyed? While I like the idea that Shadowlands is an entirely different Titan-free framework, the irony that Sylvanas could have enslaved herself to a being that is even more tormented than she has a strong sense of karma to me. That 
while certainly not outside of the realms of possibility, we still have no idea what actually happens to a Titan when it dies because it has happened once I think. And that was it. So we have no framework. Uh, We, we don't even know what happened to Argus after we, you know, blew them up. Like we have a small inkling, but we don't actually know. Uh, If you look at the Pantheon as a whole, they quote unquote died, but they were still saved. Like they still are around. Their souls were able to be, or essence or whatever you want to call it. were still able to be sort of, uh, preserved and and sort of reborn, and those were also slown by Sargeras. So what's the difference between the two, right? Is I it- mean, we we once said this. I think a couple episodes we said this that a lot of things could be the case, but we don't have any information to go on to tell you if they are the case. So any question you ask is like, could it be X? Unless there's a noted reason why it couldn't be X, we can't help you. Um, we can't tell you if it is or not. We can certainly say there's nothing saying that it couldn't be. There's nothing in game that says it can't be. That's the best we can do for you. I think that's that's a fair statement. There's nothing right now that I'm aware of that says this can't be the you know the jailer can't right. be the world soul of you know because we just like Joe said we don't know we we don't have any information on this. Um, we know that the reason that the Pantheon survived Sargeras killing them was because um, at the last second Norganon cast a spell and shot their souls across the galaxy to be you know interred in their own creations that might be a problem for a world soul because it's not been born yet so it doesn't have any creations to use I don't know there's really not much to go on although it does posit an interesting question of what if it was tied to the titans in some way being the only Titan or world soul we know that's ever actually been Sloan, what would that possibly mean for us as player characters moving into Shadowlands? Would that make anything different if it did happen to turn out to be the shattered world soul all those eons ago? Do you think it would make a difference? I got nothing. <laughs> it's, it's literally beyond any reference points we've ever had. I mean, for that matter, it you know, just right now, blue skying, it could be like the uh, the analog to a Titan from its own universe. Like, what if the Titans through the the various things that that become? We know the Titans come from like a spark of arcane power that just exists that c- comes being in our universe, and a world gets built up around it. What happens if one of those goes into the realm of death instead, and it you know gestates there and is born there? Like, I don't know. I got no idea. I am not down on this. This is all new. Although we will definitely be seeing, hopefully relatively soon, what exactly the Jailer is and where their origins come from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the Arbiter, for that matter. I'm more interested in the Arbiter than I am the Jailer. Yeah, the Jailer's the bad guy, but what's the deal with the Arbiter? How is this stuff supposed to work? You know, we know it's not working, but how is it supposed to who is this being that you know goes around assigning everybody where they're supposed to go when they die? What is up with that? And not only so, that, yeah, not just assigning think... them, but also judging the eternal weight of their soul. Yep. Because you know, there's a lot to that. You know, I mean, there's there's interesting stuff coming. We just don't know. We we don't know enough to tell you, unless you propose. You know, what if is it Anduin Lothar? Then my response would be no. We know when Lothar died. No, it's not Lothar. 
Um, but asking me if it if it could be a being that died some point in tens of thousands of years ago, I mean, it could. I guess I don't know. I don't know how long the jailer's been at it. I, this is all information I don't have. So yeah. Our next question comes from Nightchild. Uh, Question for Lowwatch. I've recently started playing Classic and was wandering around Stormwind Keeped because it is different and, well, curiosity. I came across all the lore books in the library and was wondering, who were the seven human nations and why were they called collectively the Nations of Erethor? Thanks. Do you want to go for it? Sure. Um, I've written about this one a few times, actually. You have. Uh, originally, okay, this is going to... This, this actually draws in... I don't know if you actually used the email uh, asking about the Terra's places. Did you did you use that email? Uh, not on this week. I think that's an okay. old one. Okay. Um, basically, in order to explain this, I will have to explain that too, but since we're not, you know, not using it, I won't worry about it too much. Basically, when you go back to it, humans on Azeroth descend from the Vrykul. And... What happened was the Vrykul were getting hit by the Curse of Flesh that turned them from like the Iron and Stone Vrykul into Fleshy Vrykul. But the curse wasn't done there. It kept affecting them. And the result of this was that some Vrykul were having kids and those kids were human, not Vrykul. They were much smaller and it would be equivalent to like if humans had, had kids and the kids were gnomes. That's how it was to the Vrykul. They're like, what is this? Why Why are my children... My kid, This kid will never be able to pick up a sword. Look at him. He's like, he's barely five feet... He's like, he's going to maybe be barely six feet tall at the most. That's not acceptable. I mean, I'm I'm like 10 feet tall. I was hoping my kid would at least be nine and a half. I mean, I don't, I don't know what to do here. And uh, obviously some Vrykul, you know, reacted to this more negatively than others. Um, King Ymiron, for instance, was like, put them all to the sword. I want them all destroyed, and I curse the Titans for having done this to us. Not realizing it wasn't the Titans, it was, you know, the curse of flesh, it was the old gods, but they didn't know what was going on. So, not all of Ymiron's followers were willing to kill their own offspring. They were like, you know, okay, sure, he's going to be a little runt, but he's, he's still my kid, or she's still my kid. And some of them, you know, at the time... Tyr, Arcadus, and Ironia, who were two of the, the keepers and one watcher, suspected that you, that Loken was in on all this. And they had gotten together a group of Rykul, and some of the Rykul they had there in their group were the ones who had, you know, they, they had the human children. And they were deliberately, like Ironia was deliberately gathering up as many of the human children as she could, you know, she was going out and getting them. Because when they, they stole the distant Morganon from from Loken, they knew we're going to have to get out of here. And keep in mind, this is all pre-Sundering. This is all the entire continent of Kalimdor. And this is probably before the Night Elves even had a kingdom. Uh, this is probably before the Trolls had a kingdom. This is relatively early in, in the whole Titan-forged ordering of Azeroth, when when Loken finally broke bad and, and tricked uh, Helya into isolating Odin in the Halls of Valor so he could pretend to be prime designate. They were all pretty suspicious of all this. So they stole the Dissover Naganon and ran for it. Loken sent a ch two Chithraxi, uh, Zakajas and Kithix, to kill them. And as a result of that, Tyr was like, all right, I'm, gonna, I'm going to hold the line here at this place that we first got to. 
Arcadis, I need you to take everybody with you and take the discs and, and go hide, get someplace safe. As a result of Tyr's sacrifice, one of the Chithraxi just flat out died. Zakajas died. And Kithix was heavily wounded, even as he managed to finally strike the killing blow on Tyr. But some of the Vrykul and their offspring had been sticking around and saw it happen, saw Tyr's sacrifice, and created the Tomb of Tyr that you, you saw when you did Legion. And as a result of that, those, those humans created what would eventually become the Nation of Lordaeron, but it didn't become Lordaeron yet. It was, that was in the far future from that period of time. Thousands of years went by. The uh, humans that Tyr and Arcadis and Ironia brought to the area that's now the Eastern Kingdoms just continued in that area. The Sundering happened, and they were just there. They they survived it because they weren't they weren't as close to where the Well of Eternity was. They didn't have a role in it, and essentially they just went from barbarism to barbarism. Because think about it. The, the generation that raised them, the, the, the Vrykul who raised them eventually all died. And they were left alone with like this half-remembered civilization that they weren't even really a part of. They'd been, they'd been banished from. And beings like Arcadis and Ironia had sealed themselves up in Uldamon. So they didn't have access to effectively the beings they thought of as their gods. They knew about Tyr's sacrifice because they'd witnessed it. And they'd built his tomb. They knew that he died for them. And so there's places all over the Eastern kingdoms named like, you know, tears, tears, fall, tears, guard, um, tears, hand. Those places were like a half remembered, you know, tear did this, but they don't really, they didn't know what tear was. As time passed their, their state of barbarism got more and more extreme because on the one hand, they lived South of, of the elves that arrived. Um, the, the, people that would become the high elves had arrived and they'd lived, they lived briefly in what's in what's now Terrace Vall before like, Oh yeah, this place is crazy. And they got out. Um, they sensed the old God influence of Zakajas and they lit out for the North, but that put them into direct combat with the Amani and the Amani hated everybody. The Amani absolutely hated the humans and kept trying to kill them. But humans are extremely hard to kill. They just, they were stubborn and militaristic, just like the trolls. Um, there wasn't much difference between them, except that the, the Amani were descendants of a vast culture that they remembered, whereas the the humans didn't even remember Frightcool culture. They had like half-remembered scraps of it. Like they, they remembered blacksmithing, but otherwise they were just a completely different people. And this went on for a very long time, thousands upon thousands of years. Until one human be- realized my people are just too scattered to they're, they're eventually the trolls are going to like be done fighting the elves and they're going to, they're going to wipe us out because we're just too scattered. We're not, there's no, there's no unifying force. It's just a bunch of individual tribes separately. We're just not strong enough. And so he began unifying humanity and he did it through any means he could. Like if diplomacy worked great, he, what he totally used diplomacy. For instance, uh, the place where Tyr was buried was ruled by a being, a man called Lordane. And he basically just negotiated with Lordane. He was like, straight up, if you join us, I'll let you, I'll let you teach your weird religion. That, that light worshiping thing you do because the, the people of what is now Lordaeron, since they'd been in such close contact to where Tyr died, since they had this, the strongest stories of Tyr's life, 
they knew about his control of the light and they, they had themselves worshipped it. So that's where light worship in humans comes from. That's it's it's a half remembered thing from the time of the Titans. And so Lord Aiden was like, Alright, I'll join. Um there's another famous figure, um the the troll bane, the troll Kalau line. Uh they joined because he literally beat them up. Like Arathor beat them up and made them join. This happened with like various other tribes. Some of them he negotiated with. Some of them he just defeated by force of arms or single combat or armies. But slowly he built up the first nation of humans. The first complete nation of humankind on Azeroth ever. And they named it after him. They named it Arator after him. His name was Arathor and they named it after him. So... That would have been enough to at least start something, but it was actually the trolls' fault that humans became so ascendant. Um, the trolls were pushing the night, the, not the night elves, sorry, the high elves, really hard. They were actually in, they, there was a there was danger that the trolls would finally beat them and drive them out. And now keep in mind, technically speaking, high elves had invaded troll lands. They they weren't from there. <laughs> they they had come over. They'd been banished when the, when the when um, Dathomir Sunstrider and his people had joined the Highborn had joined with the the Night Elf Rebellion against Queen Ashara. They said, "Okay, we'll give up arcane magic because obviously it's too dangerous." But then once the war was won, they didn't want to do it. And they'd done a whole thing where they summoned a massive storm with arcane magic to show how powerful they were. And instead of the Night Elves going, you're right, we should totally keep Arcane Magic, they were like, get out or we'll kill you. And so Dathomar was like, all right, we'll leave. And he got his followers and took a boat and went and ended up in the Eastern Kingdoms. So their whole legacy, their, the thousands of years that they were there, that was basically them being invaders in, in Amani lands. And the Amani are not big on being invaded. Uh, trolls in general aren't. The Amani were significantly un- unhappy about this. The Amani had somehow gained enough power that they were finally pushing the High Elves out. After thousands of years, it actually looked like the High Elves might lose. Um, I think it was, I think it was Anastarian. Might have been his father. I don't remember which which High Elf king it was, but one of them went to the uh, the Amani, and, and not the Amani, the the Arath the Arathi. He basically said that you know he noticed that they had really strong arcane potential, and he like basically made a deal with them. Like you don't like the Amani, we don't like the Amani, so why don't we make a deal? I will teach a hundred of your people to wield arcane magic. In return, you will join us as allies and help us fight the trolls. You will present a, a united front, and. That way they'll be fighting on two sides at once and we'll defeat them and, dr- and drive them back into Zulamon. The humans didn't really like the High Elves either, but they liked the High Elves a lot better than the Amani because the High Elves were separated from them by the Amani, essentially. It's like in order to even get to the High Elves, you'd have to go through the Amani. So it's not like they fought very much. And so, uh, you know, Arator was like, all right, I will take that deal. And he did. He took that deal. Um, as a result of this, one of the things that happened was his sword, Stromkar, was in, in, it was enhanced by, by high elven mages and beca- it became a rune blade. 
Um, it was already a, a very powerful weapon because it was actually a a, a legacy blade that he he'd made using the the secrets of the Vrykul ancestors. It was already an amazing weapon, so they they turned it into like a absolute death machine. Uh, it's to the point where if you bring Stromkar now into a Zan- into the Zandalari raid um, Throne of Thunder, the the, the Zandalari will run away from you. That's how scared they are of that sword. That's how powerful the magics were on it. Um, but yeah, the, the 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 troll wars happened. The troll wars basically created a unified Arathor with with magical powers. Like they they taught a hundred humans how to use arcane magic. As a result of this, the Arathor spread to basically every corner of the Eastern Kingdoms they could reach. Um, but as they did this, the Arathor nation itself was ruled by basically by Arathor's cult of personality. It was his his strength of will. It was him who led it. When he just when he suddenly vanished, he basically stepped down to go do studying because. He wanted to know about the origins of humankind, and that led him eventually to the Tomb of Tear, which is where you'll meet his ghost if you do the uh, warrior two-hand sword uh, for arms warriors legend uh, epic uh, artifact. Sorry, if you do that artifact storyline, you'll you'll meet Arador. He's at the Tomb of Tear. When he did that, uh, for instance, Lordane basically became the the ruler of what is now Lordaeron. Um, the Trollbane line became the rulers of what's now Arathor. The actual descendants of of Arathor, they left and went south, and they became rulers of what's Stormwind. The mages started their own city, namely Dalaran. Um, some of the the people of what is now Lordaeron moved south into Gilneas. Um, some of the people in Gilneas then left and ended up settling Kul'Tiris. And uh, there was an area between the various nations, kind of a crossroad, that became its own kingdom, and that's the uh... oh bloody heck! I know it, and I'm, I can't remember the name, and it's gonna drive me crazy. Uh, it's the one the syndicate's in. That's not the Arathi Highlands. Mm, no. It's where Tyron Mill and, and so forth. Alterac, yes. Yep. Alterac was kind of like a crossroads between these various kingdoms, so it, it became its own nation ruled by the Paranolds. And what basically the reason there were seven nations was because Arathor, um, the, the the nation of Strom, which was founded when the entire Arathi Empire fell apart, couldn't hold all these different places. It, it, they couldn't maintain rule over them and the people that lived in those areas and basically appointed their own kings. But they were all founded from that original Arathi Empire, founded created by Arathor. And they all remembered it. They had like a, a sing, they had a single way of speech. They shared customs. They knew each other. Like it, it's not like they suddenly were like complete strangers to each other. They just you know okay we're going to rule ourselves, but we we get that you and I we share a common origin. We understand that. That's kind of how you ended up with seven human kingdoms because essentially the the empire was too big for us for the people at the time to rule it centrally, and the local rulers essentially appointed themselves kings and just ruled as kings. Um, and that's when the alliance of Lordaeron was created, those seven kingdoms came together in mutual alliance because Stormwind had been destroyed. Stormwind was the southernmost of these nations, and it was the one set, it was created by the original bloodline, Arator's descendants. So they didn't become kings of it, though. 
they they served it as as like knights and generals. They didn't become like the new kings of Stormwind. But uh, Anduin Lothar, who served, for instance, he served Lane Wren as a as a close personal friend and as arms master of the Brotherhood of the Horse. He was of that bloodline. He was descended from Arador. And as a result, when the alliance was formed and they reached out to the other nations throughout Azeroth, at the time, just the Eastern Kingdoms, because that's the only ones they could reach, they got the dwarves and the gnomes to sign up pretty easily, but the, the Hyles were like, no, we're not going to help you. We have no reason to help you. And, and finally, uh, Lothar had to say, uh, you have one reason to help us. And they're like, what's that? He goes, well, you swore an oath to my ancestor that if ever he needed your help or his descendants needed your help, you would come help him. And I'm calling it in because now is the time. And they were like, we don't want to, but we'll help because as you're right, we did swear that oath. More importantly, this means you can't ever use it again. This is it. This is the time you're calling it in. So, okay. And that's how the high elves joined the Alliance of Lordaeron because in Lothar was a descendant of Arador. But that's yeah, that's where the seven human kingdoms come from. Yeah, and just as a quick recap, the seven kingdoms are the Alteric, the Dalaran, uh, Dalaran, Gilneas, Kul'tiris, uh, Lordaeron, Stormwind, and Stormguard. Those are the seven yep. kingdoms. So yeah, that's a that was a pretty beefy answer, and I sort of wanted to get that because I knew Matt had written about that a couple times, and I felt it was yep. uh, just appropriate. We've learned more about it from Legion. Legion actually introduced quite a bit more about it because yeah. that's where we learned about Stromkar. Battle for uh, Azeroth did too. With, Battle with, for Azeroth talked more about Kul'Tiris, and, and yes, if we had a question about Kul'Tiris, my, my, there's a ton more. Uh, there's a lot more to talk about. Um, one of the things that's very interesting about Kul'Tiris is uh, Kul'Tiris and Tirisgard. We don't know why they're named that. We know that Tirisfall is named Tirisfall because it's where Tyr fell. We know that um, Tyr's hand is named Tyr's hand after Tyr. Um, it's not where he sacrificed his hand, but it is. That's what it's named after. We don't know if Tearsguard or or uh, anything else or Kill Tearus, if they're named after Tear specifically, it would make sense. Because one of the things we do know is that the Drust, who settled there first, are Vrykul. The Drust and the Vrykul are like the Drust are an offshoot of the Vrykul. They're like a Vrykul tribe that basically got doubled down on the whole construct thing and moved to those islands and lived there after the Sundering. And we know that the the shield um, Titan Guard. We know that the pa- the Paladin Shield Titan Guard was was on an island to the north of the Broken Isles, which is if you look at the map of where the Broken Isles are, where where Colteris uh, is, and where like the Eastern Kingdoms are. Before the Sundering, those places all would have been relatively close to each other. So there's probably a relation between them, but we don't know what it is. Which is great that you brought that up because it actually answers uh, the question from Winter Wolf that we had, uh, which was specifically if, uh, you know, Tears Fall, that gave us any sort of hint on Tears Guard Sound and Cult Tears. Yeah, so. we, we, it, there's probably a relation just based on the fact that the name is so close, but there's nothing currently that tells us exactly what's going on. We do know that Cult Tears was settled by Gilneans. It was Gilnean sailors who were exploring the area um, who ended up settling it. And to some degree, it was, there were some exiles and so forth. Uh, and 
We know that they met the Drust and tried to be they, – they actually did try for peaceful relations with the Drust after they'd settled there. The Drust's response was to murder them because they were on Drust land. And, you know, they were on Drust land. People don't like it when you, you just build a house on their, their property. But, you know, there, were, there was really – the options at that point were, okay, I guess we'll die or I guess you'll die. So that's what happened with the Drust. But, yeah. So I think we're going to have time for one more before we have to call it quits. Let's see here. I think we're going to go with this one. Uh, question, or Hugh or Lorewatch, stole it for the Lorewatch. Can you guys each name five things you're hoping to learn more about when Diablo Immortal and Diablo 4 eventually come out? I'm certain more people want Diablo 4 more than Diablo Immortal, but having played a fair amount of mobile titles, I'm more than willing to give the latter a go to see what lore they have put in it. And this is from Speed Lancer. So, Matt, what five things would you be excited for? Or if you can't name Dude, five, as many as you can go. I just had to talk a lot, and I'd like to drink some water and get my throat <laughs> back. Can you talk for a bit? Sure. Uh, honestly, the things that I'm most excited about are learning more about the time in between Diablo 2 and Diablo 3, uh, which is where Diablo Immortal sort of is supposed to be shining. We don't know a lot of what happened between those those events, really. We don't know why the druids sort of disappeared. We don't know, you know, if the assassins morphed into demon hunters. We have some stuff, but Diablo 3, when it was first released, didn't really fill in a whole lot of those gaps. So Diablo Immortal, for me, is a really great way for us to sort of get, I don't want to say the highlights, but to understand the stories of what happened in the world between those two time frames. And I'm absolutely okay with that. I think that's a great thing. Um, I don't have anything against mobile titles per se. Uh, I'm more interested to see what they do lore-wise with that. As far as Diablo 4 goes, I want to know more about, I don't want to say the eternal conflict, but I want to know more about how everything came to be really. Like we have what we've been told. We have like the stuff from the sin war books and uh, the book of Tyrael, the book of Cain. Uh, I'd like to see more about the use of the world stone to build other worlds. If there's any fallout from that, is that where some of these quote unquote gods came from? Is it because they were, the last survivors of these these worlds that weren't exactly stripped of their powers. Why did these worlds not last? We don't know why. We just know that they didn't. All these things that were created apparently weren't made to be. Uh, I'd like to know more about that. Uh, additionally, I'd like to know more about where we're going to go from here because one of the things that's great and terrible about Diablo, at least in the games, is that they're incredibly cyclical. It's the same primevals in various capacities. I like to see if we can evolve past that. And it seems like with Lilith coming back and possibly Anarius, because during the the trailer we uh, we see a lovely little uh, torture scene in Hell, which I assume is just uh, Anarius being tortured. And I would assume at some point he's going to come back, otherwise they wouldn't show him. Uh, that are we going to start seeing the evils be replaced as the actual villains? We saw some of that in Diablo three, when we started fighting angels more, more frequently, we had a lot of content that was just us going into heaven and picking a fight there as well, which now looking at what they're going with makes sense, right? Like if you look back at Lilith's plan, you look back at, at the Nephilim and humanity in general, 
if we were the game plan to defeat both angels and demons, makes perfect sense that we'd be fighting both. But now where is where's that next step? Do we now clear out the rest of the angels? Do we have any demons left to fight? Can we contain the prime evils so that they can't come back? Like, how does that all shake out? Those are the things that I'm most excited about in the upcoming titles. Uh, also, I think filling in the cosmology a little bit more would be cool. And I'd like to know more about Tragul. Because is Tragul somebody who has existed since the dawn of time because that's just how it is? Is it like Matt said earlier? Is it a reflection of Anu? Uh, is it the flip coin of I shouldn't have done this? Is this is this Anu's regrets made made manifest? I want to know more about that. And then, of course, I'd like to see what's up with Rothma because definitely still around. What's Rothma doing? Is Rothma the the person from the uh, trailer that frees Lilith or brings Lilith back? We have speculation that it might be, but we don't have any confirmation. Would Rothma do that? Would Rothma risk everything for that? Who knows? But those are my things. Those are what I'd like to know, what I'd like to learn. How about you, Matt? Um, well, I mean, one thing that comes to mind is what's uh, Jacob Stalak up to? I don't know if you don't know who Jacob Stalak was, but when Tyrael blew himself up, destroying the Worldstone at the end of Diablo 2, um, his sword sought out a human uh, named Jacob Stalek. And there's actually more to it. Like there's a wizard involved and he had to free her from the sword, which was using, it was basically keeping her alive for like the whole time, but unable to leave blah, blah, lots of stuff. But basically he, for a while he was using Eldruin while Tyrael was reforming for 20 years or so. And he went around being effectively the avatar of justice during that whole time. Uh, meeting out justice wherever he could. And that's an interesting thing to me, the idea of like, you're basically you're kind of like Tyrael's stand-in while he's reforming himself. And that, that that's your life for 20 years. Like, what 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 was going on with that at the time? Let's, let's see that. I definitely think that'd be something cool to see in Diablo Immortal. I want to see, like, all the fallout of the World Stone's destruction. We know that they're the the fragments of the world stone are going to be involved in the story like the 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 corrupted world stone power is going to be seeping forth into the world of sanctuary at that time you know since the world stone's been destroyed that's when nephilim are going to start coming up mm -hmm. and like what's the deal with that um, as far as diablo 4 is concerned one of the things that keeps coming to mind that i want to see very much is what happened after we beat malthiel like we know that this is in the it's it's like at least a decade or two in the future from the end of of Diablo three, uh, Reaper of Souls. We know that like a lot of human nations are effectively in in full on collapse. Um, West March didn't recover from its king being killed, and so many people dying. But across the whole world, people are now like, if you you lived through that, I think we're in a really interesting place as people right now in our world to understand the chaos that would come from this. When imagine living in a world where you realize without a shadow of a doubt that not only are there demonic forces that want to destroy you because they knew that that's, that's something that they believed, but the, the angels want to destroy you too. Because everything that happened in West March and then everything that happened to people all over the world when the, when the, uh, 
black soul stone began pulling our souls into it to kill them. That's that was angels doing that. That was an archangel doing that. That was Malthiel. So you can't even even the angels want to kill us. What's that going to do to the world? What's that going to do to like the average person living in sanctuary somewhere? I mean, and you look at it like they talk about how uh, Karast is going to be in this and Chaldeum is going to be in this. And it's like th the nations that once existed seem to be falling apart or just plain old not existing anymore because nobody can really govern anything. There's no certainty anymore. And that's interesting. I don't, and I don't know how well, how it's going to be manifested in the game, but I definitely want to see how it's going to be manifested in the game. I, I want to know: Are we playing Nephilim again, or are we just playing people? Are we just, you know, humans going on adventures, or is every human possibly a Nephilim? I mean, technically speaking, every human's a Nephilim. You know, we're we're directly descended from them. The, but I, I, you know what I'm saying? Like, is is that just if a human gets strong enough, they're a Nephilim? Like, how does that work? There's a ton more, I mean, but I know some of it's going to be shown. Like, I know Andariel and Duriel are going to show up. And I know they said they're not using the primevals right away. Like, uh, if Andariel and Duriel are showing up, that means that the, 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 the evils that were trapped in the Black Soulstone by Diablo are free now. Because the Andariel and Duriel were in there. But that, so what happened to the rest of them? Did they all go back to the Hells? What are they doing there? Are they... Like, Diablo pulled a fast one even on his brothers. Like, everybody got jammed in that soul stone. Not just, you know, and they were, he was controlling all of that power. He was basically the one primeval. If Andariel and Duriel are free now, obviously they're all separated out. Does that mean, like, are, what are, are Baal and Mephisto, like, side-eyeing Diablo now? Like, you did this to us? You, you planned against us? And... Obviously, you know, they're all evil, so it's not like they can really be offended that he plotted against them, but they can be offended that it worked. Um, just there's, there's tons of stuff going on. And what's, you know, we know that the, the high heavens have sealed themselves off, but like what happened to Tyrael? He was mortal. Did he go with them? Did they seal him off with them? Or is he on, on sanctuary somewhere? The, what happened with his Haradrim? Remember, he restarted the Haradrim. It's been 20, 30 years. What happened to them? did they collapse are they still out there trying there's there's so much i want to see it's more stuff that i want to see than i can even think of to tell you um we know that if if that is rathma like does that mean that the necromancers are like behind him like are they helping him do this and i can think of reasons why he would do it I can think of lots of reasons why he'd bring Lilith back. If he's looking at the world and seeing what a collapsed ruin it is, he may feel like it requires Lilith to restore the balance. That's certainly something that might happen. So, yeah, there's a ton of stuff I want to see. And I think that's going to do it for us today. Uh, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. Your continued support means this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. Uh, thank you, everybody, for your continued support. Stay safe, and I hope you have a great week. We'll see you next week.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.